Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to a new episode of Konrad Adenauer Stiftung's podcast on Belarus. My name is Jakob Wernstein and today is the 14th of April, exactly seven weeks since the world woke up to a new dark reality when the Russian Federation started its war of aggression against Ukraine using the territory of Belarus at that point in time for the offensive on Kiev. At the very day, the Belarusian democracy movement announced an anti-war movement to resist, even though Belarus was being used as territory to attack, to show that they are not helpless. Today we want to reflect on the question uh, what the impact and the meaning of this anti-war movement have been and still can be in the future. I'm very happy to have two uh, very competent experts with us on this topic today. First of all, I would like to welcome Liana Zhivoglot, who is the head of the civic initiative Honest People. If we speak about the movement in Belarus, uh, it's invisible for simple people on the streets. But I believe that we're becoming wider. And secondly, with us, we have Alexander Dobrovolsky, who is an advisor to Svetlana Tsikhanovsky. Some Belarusian people are fighting for Ukraine. They understand that they are fighting uh, also for Belarus independence. Maybe let's start with you, Alexander. Uh, Svetlana Tsikhanovskaya, uh, the leader of Democratic Belarus, was the one to announce that anti-war movement pretty quickly after the invasion of Ukraine started. Can you shed some light on how that quick reaction was possible and what does that anti-war movement mean? We work out uh, some scenarios of possible war on December of uh, 2021 and we thought that uh, it's... Uh, Maybe impossible, but uh, possible. So uh, we have decided that we will need, in such case, an anti-war movement. And um, fortunately, during the start of uh, this day of 24th uh, of February, we had uh, a common headquarters in Vilnius with many initiatives. This headquarters uh, was uh, started to work for referendum and the um, representatives of uh, honest people zuber uh, the voice uh, national anti-crisis Mo uh, management and other organizations were together in vilnius that means all the people who were based or were present in vilnius these initiatives formed the yes. movement uh, it, it was easier uh, for us to uh, discuss and to decide But uh, we had this intention in such case, if uh, uh, this war will start, we will need uh, and we should create anti-war movement. So what exactly is the idea of a broad movement, anti-war movement of Belarus? This idea uh, was discussed uh, just uh, uh, as uh, the second uh, step of the anti-referendum campaign. But it was transformed to anti-war movement uh, just uh, on the 24th of uh, February. But does it mean there is a formal structure of uh, membership in the movement, of organizations being part of this? Is there a hierarchy or how to imagine this, this movement? White uh, national movement doesn't need uh, any membership, but uh, the focus of this movement that uh, uh, every person, every organization, every political subject could be a part of this movement. It's uh, the main idea that we are together, uh, we are moving to uh, common uh, objectives and we have uh, similar interests and we cooperate. 
uh, without uh, any additional structures. But uh, it's possible to make some additional structures if needed. So anyone can contribute what he or she feels safe and capable to do. Um, Lena, I would like to, to come to you. Your organization, Honest People, played a big role in 2020 in observation uh, of the falsified elections back then. And you are in contact with many activists uh, abroad, but especially also in Belarus. What is the feeling in Belarus after almost uh, or more than one and a half years of repressions? What are people still able to do? What can they be expected to do? And what actions uh, have we been observing? Today, it's quite a difficult topic for people inside the country to speak about the sovereignty, to speak about the independence on a long-term distance. And um, I think it's also because the infrastructure for civil society is uh, now under the pressure of the regime. Because such new NGOs like Honest People is from 2020, uh, we are on uh, on the market. We exist because all structures, all institutes are under repressions from the regime. I think that uh, there is uh, no difference uh, of the conditions for people for for civil society after 2020 because it is the same situation in general for our people like it was uh, 30 years before. The state falsificated uh, elections not only in 2020, and because uh, the connection between uh, the uh, society, between the citizens and government uh, was difficult, our institutes didn't work before 2020 also. But you say it's the same movement, basically, that has been there already for the same struggle, but now the war is a new aspect. Would you still say you reach new people with this, or is it still the same people interested? And how far does it galvanize new groups of citizens? We believe and we see that now we are becoming wider, but we have to understand that it's impossible to see, like in all countries all over the world, yeah, it is that this movement, this solidarity is because it's partisan movement. We are under repressions uh, because all the uh, simple uh, organizations, collaborations, uh, or any kinds of uh, uh, getting together is impossible. Uh, that's why if we speak about the movement in Belarus, uh, it's invisible for simple people on the streets. But I believe that we're becoming wider because war is a red line. But is it just in people's attitudes that this movement uh, is visible? Or are there any concrete examples you can give of what people are actually able to do, be it posting hashtags? Or, I mean, we've seen the, the railway sabotage in Belarus. Other people are joining even uh, voluntary regiments, or the, the Skalinovsky battalion in Ukraine, what is the range of actions that people are willing to do and what do we see and what is the impact that we can see from these actions? Uh, there are much more organizations today for people than it was even in 2020, in the beginning. Uh, partisan organization where people are trying in digital uh, and uh, to come offline uh, with leaflets, with stickers to show their attitude to the current situation. And uh, if we are trying to count, of course, uh, not each person doing this, but a lot of people are trying to be active online in digital sphere. We see new organizations uh, with the starting of the war also. We see uh, communities in chatbots. I believe that we live in the period of transformation of the activism uh, of civil society. Uh, and uh, it is uh, high time to accept that we 
go our path. It is not uh, a short-term uh, destination, uh, like uh, we got the democracy, independence, and we live with this. And a war, anti-war movement, it is our part of our path, of our way, of our movement on our long distance. Uh, Alexander, when the war started seven weeks ago, an important or maybe the main vector seemed to be the capture of Kiev, a quick uh, overthrow of the government in, uh, in, in Kiev. But this obviously failed and now the Russian army is regrouping. Uh, the days that we are speaking now, uh, we see that there's a preparation for a huge offensive in the east. So Russian soldiers are retreating from uh, the north of Ukraine, but even from the territory of Belarus. How does that change the logic and the necessity for an anti-war movement? Is it still relevant and what can it achieve now? The main extremely important task for us was uh, to stop Russian aggression from Belarus and to stop uh, our army to come to Ukraine. Uh, the second task was uh, solved so far, but uh, I think uh, it's not uh, for forever. This threat uh, exists. As for Our tactics uh, in new situation, I think we should stop aggression from our territory and we work uh, for stop trains with Russian army that uh, can uh, go to Ukraine. We should stop uh, any collaboration between uh, our army and Russian army, um, between our enterprises that can help Russian army. But it, it's important to distribute truths about this war. It's uh, very important to, to people to understand that uh, we are uh, a part of this aggression. And because many people in Belarus, uh, more than 85% are against uh, participation of our army in this aggression, but uh, about 40% uh, Belarusians uh, think that uh, our country uh, don't take part in this aggression. It's not true. So it's our main task to prevent uh, aggression from our territory. And the, the second part is to help Ukraine, because uh, uh, honestly, it's not only anti-war movement, it's uh, the movement against Russian aggression in uh, against Ukraine and in the region. We understand that uh, it's not enough to stop uh, this war when Russia will control a part of uh, Ukrainian territory. It was a frozen conflict uh, that can uh, be repeat uh, any time. So uh, the second part is to help Ukraine. And uh, many volunteers uh, now are going to Ukraine with uh, some cars for Ukrainian army, with uh, some uh, other help uh, for Ukrainians. And uh, some Belarusian people are fighting for Ukraine. They understand that they are fighting uh, also for Belarus independence. In the beginning, there was a, a wave of perception that Belarus is an aggressor state. You say people in Belarus itself often don't think that way, but people in Ukraine seem to think very much like this. Do you think the anti-war movement has achieved to um, at least have this differentiation in people's minds that there's two different kinds of Belarus? Is that an achievement? And uh, beyond this, what do you think has been the biggest achievement uh, of the anti-war movement so far? Of course, uh, we didn't uh, solve this task uh, completely because it, you know, we can cannot do it uh, Uh, without stopping of uh, aggression uh, from Belarus. But uh, many Ukrainians understand 
now that uh, our people don't want this war. Uh, our people are against this war. Our people are trying to stop this war. And when Ukrainian president says, uh, thank you, Belarusian people, for your efforts, we understand that we are doing uh, not so bad. So as you said, uh, both Ukrainians and Belarusians are united in their um, fight against uh, aggression coming from Russia. Democratic forces speak of de facto occupation also of Belarus. And Lena, you said, uh, to rephrase your words, that the anti-war movement is at the same time a pro-Belarusian sovereignty and freedom movement. Uh, do you think people are making this connection now? And um, at the same time, Lukashenko seems again to be trying to play that game that he is Uh, the one who is safeguarding the sovereignty. What is your answer to uh, to this argument? I hope that a lot of people understand this connection. I'm so sure that not all people in country inside Belarus, and uh, it's all also because of uh, governmental propaganda. These narratives, these thought from a propaganda that it is a bottle in Belarus. It is a bottle between Russian and Ukraine, and that somebody else will decide, not we, but Russian and the USA also. It's not our situation. They are trying to bring uh, this idea that we do not influence on something. Uh, that's why uh, it's also important to realize the situation that the role of the regime and to to explain uh, this connection between our sovereignty and regional sovereignty and this war and to explain the role uh, of Belarus, it is the main task today. Thank you so much, Lena and Alexander, for being with us today and sharing your insights in this very insightful conversation. So summing up, uh, a big majority of Belarusians is against any active participation in the war, uh, but many don't even understand uh, or don't seem to understand what is actually going on. They don't see that the country is already or has been involved very actively. And the anti-war movement is an effort from the democratic forces to show that people are not helpless and the, there's a big variety of actions that is possible from just uh, having a strong opinion opinion and, and just consuming uh, free and independent media to really taking action in different forms, both within the country, but also some people even go to Ukraine. I think this will be noted in the history books that Belarus was not all passive and all helpless. Thank you, dear audience, for listening in. I hope uh, you found this insightful and helpful. Hope you will be back with us for the next episode of our podcast. Be safe wherever you are and have some happy days of Easter.